Good morning, church. Welcome to WFR. Isn't it great to have uh, live stream folks uh, a part of our forever family? We welcome you guys uh, in here every week from all across uh, the world. Uh, what a blessing for us. We think about my shirt. Loud, huh? You know, I'm not forcing you to applaud. You don't have to applaud. It's okay. If you're gonna if you're gonna wear a shirt like this, there's only one way to do it. You gotta own it, right? Right, Richard Antley? Oh, yeah, he knows. He's got a shirt like mine today. So I come in, and my loving dad says, Al, looks like you're eating good. <laughs> Love you too, Dad. Uh, what is it about when you hit a certain age? You just basically can say those things that you usually used to wait until people walked away, right, before you said it? <laughs> Imagine my surprise, I was tuning in to our live stream a few weeks ago. We had a guest preacher here, and he gave Mike a shirt from Bucky's. And he said, if this T-shirt is too big, and I quote, you can give it to Al. <laughs> well, this shirt's not from Bucky's, I'll tell you that. And apparently, they don't have mirrors in Missouri. But I did find out uh, that my dear friend Roger, who tapped me there a little bit, uh, he and Mike are both from Arkansas. And so this is what happens. You defend your fellow Arkansans when you feel like they're under attack, right? Now, you remember Arkansas. This is the land where the family trees don't fork. <laughs> the DNA pools only have a shallow end. They call farm animals when they cheer for their football team. And it is the invention of one of the greatest inventions ever, the toothbrush. You ever wonder why they didn't call it the teeth brush? Now you know. I, I kid, I kid. I love Arkansans. I'm sure we have some Arkansas people here today. We love you guys. I'm just kidding. Love Roger, but so many of you would have been disappointed had I not said something about that slur, right? So welcome. Where's Lindley Loveland? Please come and save me from myself. There she comes. Lindley's got our scripture today, which is going to be from Luke chapter 6, if you'd like to turn there, verses 12 through 16. Uh, Luke 6. 12 through 16 says, One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, uh, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Thank you. Thank you, Lindley. And Lindley, sweet. We got to see her from a little baby and grow into a, a beautiful young lady of Christ, which is a great blessing for our church here. So we're talking about next level discipleship today. 
is what I've entitled this sermon. And obviously we're going to be talking about the disciples as they made that next level to be an apostles uh, in this context. You had uh, Simon Peter, and several of these guys have more than one name. You had Simon Peter, Andrew, James, and John, two sets of brothers, and also had a commercial fishing enterprise together. And since I have been a part of a commercial fishing enterprise, uh, I can appreciate who these men were and one of the reasons why that Jesus chose them. Commercial fishing is a faith-based business, and you got to pray for that, and they did. you got Philip, who along with Andrew, according to John 1, also served as a disciple of John the Baptist. So I guess you could say these two guys had the most experience in being disciples. You had Bartholomew slash Nathaniel, another one of these two-namers. He was recruited by Philip. We had Matthew, Levi, an excommunicated tax collector. You had James, the son of Alphaeus, possibly Matthew's brother, because Matthew was also the son of Alphaeus. You had Thomas, also called Didymus, and I guess Didymus must mean skeptic, because he was a doubter. You had Simon the Zealot, and these zealots in the first century, they were heavily against Roman occupation, and so there was just revolt after revolt led by these guys. So think Antifa or QAnon, depending on your political view in our current climate. He's one of these guys, and yet he's one of the 12. Then you had uh, the two Judases, Judas Thaddeus, son of James, and of course the infamous Judas Iscariot, who Luke says would become a traitor. So you got 12 men that changed the world. They were in the moment going to the next level, and they did. You know that you're a part of a movement that has legs when in 2023 I'm preaching a sermon this morning about these men. I would say it worked. Something good came out of this next level discipleship. And we now understand what next level means, right? Gamers understand what it means. Everybody's trying to always get to the next level. I missed the gaming thing. It was, you know, after me, but people love it. Next level. Athletics, everybody wants to go to the next level, right? You want to be great. You want to compete. You want to see if your talent is good enough to make it all the way. We even have next level chefs. So even in cooking, we go to the next level. It means belief, dedication, hard work sacrifice and all-in commitment to be next level. For the disciples, they would go from being learners or followers to apostles. Those who were sent out to represent the name of Jesus and to reproduce that leadership. Next level. So you say, well, Al, what does this mean for us today? I think it means a lot because I think every one of us has the same capacity as these men. They weren't overeducated. They were pretty normal. They came from a diverse background. Some of them came from bad situations, and yet they were chosen by Christ to be his representatives for the world. 
there's three thoughts that I get from some of these guys that I want to share with you this morning that I think will help us in our quest to be next level disciples ourselves, even here in the 21st century. The first point, if you're taking notes, is to be willing to leave the comfort and the confidence of where you are at the moment. And I think the best illustration of that with our group of guys here is Andrew and Philip that I mentioned from John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. They were disciples of John the Baptist. Now, we love John the Baptist. John the Baptist was rocking the wilderness. In my day, they would call it rocking the Casbah. I mean, he had it going on, right? He's out there. He's preaching. I mean, he doesn't go to the temple. He doesn't go to all the usual places. He goes to the far-out wilderness, and people come to find him by the droves. Hundreds, later thousands. They want to see this man. They want to hear this man. And it's amazing because he had a pretty simple message. Repent and be baptized for the kingdom of heaven is near and the Messiah is coming. And he preached it over and over and over again. And he wasn't afraid to step on toes because the Jewish leadership came out because they were curious about this guy. And look, he had a look about him. Thank dad on steroids. He had a Nazarite vow, so that means a razor had never touched his hair or his beard. And he's wearing animal skins, and he's eating bugs. Just the kind of guy you want preaching your sermons, right? And yet they kept coming. It was a phenomenon. It was a movement. And he was baptizing people, and it was exciting. And can you imagine being a disciple as part of that troop and in that movement? It was a wave, and they had caught it. I love it in the movie, Jesus Revolution. They did a great job of showing what happens sometimes when a wave comes along. Man, just to be a part of that, right? And so these two guys were a part of that. And then we get to verse 35, and John, who had just given his testimony about when he baptized Jesus, having this voice from heaven Tell him that this is the one that you've been pointing to. He looks up the next day in verse 35, and he's with these two disciples, and he sees Jesus passing by. He's just walking by. Nobody following him at the moment. Look, the Lamb of God. And so these two disciples who were with him, they looked. And they saw Jesus. And they did something remarkable. In that moment, they just did a U-turn. I mean, we're following John the Baptist. Things are great. It's exciting. It's a dynamic ministry. We're a part of it. Look, the Lamb of God. And all of a sudden, they just U-turned. And they started following Jesus. I love Jesus' response. He says, what do you want? Because he's just picked up two puppies, right? What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which is a term of respect, which means teacher. So it lets you know their heart right there. Rabbi, where are you staying? Which is an odd way of saying we're going to follow you. Sounds more like a stalker to me, right? Hey, where are you staying? Jesus says, come and you will see. You know what the funny joke was? He didn't have a house. 
right? He was homeless during his ministry, so he stayed with whoever would keep him. But I love this next statement. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. How many of us, when we were introduced to Jesus, did it because someone was willing to spend a day with us and tell us about something that would change us forever? Many of us experience that same thing, that same introduction to Christ. You just got to spend a day with him. They left comfort of being a part of exciting ministry. They left confidence. They left success to follow Jesus. And nobody else was doing it. And this is a big deal because John still had disciples right up to the time he was in prison. He had people doing the ministry. Even though Jesus was there, these guys left what they knew, something exciting, to something that they didn't know. They wanted to go to the next level. And Jesus is the next level. And you know what I love about this is when you go to the next level, you don't go by yourself. The first thing these two guys did was go and tell somebody else, you got to come meet this guy. We just spent the day with him. you got to meet him. Philip went to Nathaniel, and in verse 47, we see what happens there. And when he tells Nathaniel about it, he said, this Jesus of Nazareth, you're not going to believe it. And Nathaniel fell back on this whole thing that was going around in Israel at the time. He said, what good thing can come out of Nazareth? It's like being from Luna. That's where I'm from. I spent my whole high school years being called a lunatic. (laughs) Really? What good thing could come out of Luna? Well, when God gets involved, you'll be on national television from Luna. (laughs) Take that, high school people 40 years ago. (laughs) What good thing can come out of Nazareth? When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching... He said, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. What a statement. I mean, if you're Nathaniel, you're sitting there thinking, hmm, that's pretty good. And he said, how do you know me? Jesus said, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Uh Uh-oh, he's rolling out his Jedi mind tricks now. Oh, I saw you earlier when you were talking about no good thing out of Nazareth. He didn't say that, but you know that's what he was thinking, right? Nathaniel says, Rabbi, respect, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. He got him. Don't you know that Jesus smiled and said, you said no good thing could come out of Nazareth. You believe because I told you I saw you. You will see greater things than that. I love it. You see, next level is greater. You'll see things you can't imagine. He said, you're going to see the Son of Man, angels coming out of heaven. You're not going to believe what you're going to see because you're willing to follow me. You see, I I have a theory that to go from bad to good Many times only takes necessity. That was my story. Many of you are, I'm sure, the same way. In other words, you were in such a bad place. The reason you left it wasn't because you had a moment with Jesus. It's just because you thought, if I stay here, I will die. And I will hurt other people. 
living this way. That's necessity. And hey, whatever it takes to get you out of the pig pen, that's good. But to go from good to great takes humility. It takes being willing to fall on your knees and say, Rabbi, you are the son of God. That's what gets you to the next level. If you only leave your life of sin because it's damaging, you'll wind up going back there. You have to discover the person who can keep you out of that life. And that's Jesus. And there's no program and there's no plan and there's none of the things that people look to in the world that will help you bigger and better than following Jesus Christ. He is the answer to this. And when you know this, you can't keep it to yourself. That's why Philip went to Nathaniel. And that's why Andrew went to his little brother, Peter. Simon at the time. It reminds me so much of the story we tell about my Aunt Jan being a committed, dedicated, Bible-loving believer. But she said, oh, if we can get my big brother, you're not going to believe the great things you'll see. She was a prophetess, as it turned out. She was right. When you go next level, you don't go alone. You think, how can the kingdom grow, and who am I going to help find it to grow it? That's what happens when you're willing to leave the comfort and the confidence of where you are. But let's talk about Peter, because he takes us to a next level in that he was willing to accept who Jesus is compared to who he wasn't. And this is big. You remember the story in Luke chapter 5? Peter now is, of course, checking Jesus out. And we know from the John passage that what he does, but in in Luke, he's still contemplating what he's going to do. So he's in Jesus' proximity, but he hasn't made the leap. Andrew's already told him about him. You got to see this guy. You got to hear this guy. You got to meet this guy. And so he's checking him out, but he's cautious. And so Jesus is down one day on the edge of the lake and he's preaching to these people. And Peter's over there, and he's cleaning his nets. But you know he's listening. And then Jesus engages him. Hey, Peter, I'd like to be able to have a little bit more audio. Can we go out just a little bit in your boat? So how did Jesus know about that sound would carry across water? Well, he made the water. He knew about audio stuff, right? So he gets out of the boat, but as we now know, that really wasn't why he got in the boat. He got in the boat so that Peter would get in the boat with him and that he would be a captive audience. And he was. So after Jesus finished preaching, Peter still hasn't said a word. And he says, Peter, why don't we do a little fishing? We're in a boat. We got some nets. And I love Peter's response. It's a lot like Nathaniel's response. He says, Lord, we've been working hard all night fishing. But because you say so, we'll throw out the nets. Now, you don't start a sentence like that unless you, what you mean to say is, you need to stick to rabbiing and let me do the fishing. That's what he meant in that statement. But he was very respectful. And so he said, we'll throw them out. 
And guess what? The one who made the water made the fish. And so they throw the nets out. And it was such a large catch that it was beginning to tear the nets. And now, for commercial fishermen, pandemonium ensues. Get that boat, get out here. We got the biggest catch of our lives. And then all the hubbub and all the excitement. Just imagine with me that Jesus is standing back at the back of the boat and he's smiling. I don't know about fishing, huh? Stick to rabbi. I knew what you were thinking. And they get all these fish and everybody's so excited. And in this moment, Peter looks into the mirror of his soul. And he goes and he falls down on his knees in front of Jesus. And he says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. I used to think that was a negative comment for Peter. Like, you know, it's just in the moment he got swept up. It's like, I'm terrible. But now that I look back at it, and every time you study, you see it a little bit differently. What a great statement. To realize in this great fish catch for him, but any of our victories of life, that we look in the mirror and we compare that to Jesus and we think, you know what? I don't compare. I'm not enough. That's what he was saying. And I love Jesus' gentle response. He says, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to catch people instead of fish. And boy, did he ever. That was because he was willing to look into that mirror. When Lisa and I share our testimony around the country, she talks about the moment when she was trapped, in her case, in her sinful life, then becomes known. And we were in our bathroom in our house because we'd been having this all-night session of coming to Jesus and truth. And she looked in the mirror and she says, when I looked in the mirror, I didn't recognize who was looking back at me. She had this moment. When you make the comparison of who you are, what you've been doing, where you've been living, and you compare that to Jesus and you said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful person it sent her out to the wet grass behind our house calling for rescue which he came reminds me of the passage in james chapter 1 verse 23 anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like That's living a life that you never go to the next level because you don't compare Jesus to you. Every one of us has that mirror. The question is, are we willing to look? Which takes me to the third point that I see from our list of guys. And that's also being willing to let go of your past to engage your future. I love the story of Levi slash Matthew. He's another one who was called. And in the, in the Luke, in Luke chapter 5, 27, he was just there at his tax collector booth. And you say, well, that doesn't tell you a whole lot, but it really tells you a lot for that culture. In the Matthew and Mark account, we see even more about who this guy was. He didn't go by his name, Levi. Levi 
in Hebrew means to join in harmony. And that was not who he was. He was living a conflicted life. He didn't go by the name of his father because I'm sure he had been excommunicated by his family. You know why? Because no self-respecting Jew would ever collect taxes for the Romans. And this is the life he had chosen for whatever reason. And we don't know why. But I can promise you this. Matthew had a past. And it wasn't pretty. You don't wind up in a position where everybody hates you unless you hate yourself first. And that's what happened to him. And so Matthew, his new name, means gift of God. And Jesus just walked up to him straight up and says, why don't you follow me? And you know what's amazing about it? Sometimes when we're trapped in this past and we're thinking, man, I wish I could do different. Sometimes all it takes is just an invitation and you're just willing to leave it. That's what happened to Matthew. I mean, all it took was someone asking, why don't you just do something different? You tired of being hated? You tired of living a life that's not getting you anywhere with other people and just being isolated and alone? Are you sick of it yet? Are you willing to leave it? I'm sure Matthew, through his ministry and his life, recognized that he bore the scars of being damaged. All of us understand that, don't we? And I got some damage and stuff. But you know what? I may be damaged, but I'm delivered. I'm delivered from that damage. Romans 7 says this. Yeah, you can applaud that. Go ahead. Romans 7 says, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For my, in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Ever been in that struggle? What a wretched man I am, Paul said. Who will rescue me from this body? That is subject to death, damage. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Even damaged, we can accomplish next level because of Jesus. We get that. We understand that. I was 15 years old. I was planning a church league out at Mount Vernon Baptist Church. And I blew out my knee and tore my ACL. Now, when I got home, I didn't know that I tore my ACL. When I got home, I got an ace bandage and a steady dose of suck it up. (laughs) That's the way I was raised, right? Go to the doctor. MRI, that's something. Is that a government agency? Well, what is that? I don't. So I didn't have an ACL. For 45 years. <laughs> Damaged. I didn't realize that I tore my ACL until I tore my meniscus in the same knee five years ago. Now, of course, I'm in charge of my own finances, so I got an MRI. <laughs> Wally back there told me, he said, you don't, your ACL is gone. It's, I said, yeah, it left me about 50 years ago. It's been gone. 
How have you functioned, Al? Poorly. <laughs> Knee braces. Popping out from time to time. Ooh, what's that loud pop? That's Al's knee. He said, well, you're probably going to have to get a cut on now. I said, I don't think so. You know, I've lived this long with it, Wally. I think I can just suck it up. So five years of physical therapy later, I'm sucking it up. I'm damaged, but I'm delivered. Because you know what? Somebody said, well, you got to get that knee replacement out. Maybe. Maybe if I can't get upstairs, I'll have to have it done. But you know what? I've got the promise of a new and glorified resurrected body. And when that happens, no more damage. And I'm already looking forward to that day. I'm going to be dunking with Christian. I'm going to be doing backflips with Tommy Perkins. We can do it then, Tommy. No fear. I'm going to live forever. With my forever family. Because I've been delivered. So if I know that, does that help me get to the next level of understanding who Jesus is? You bet it does. Damaged but delivered. Ashamed. Man, there are things you look back in your past and think, how could I have done that? But ascended. Listen to this, Hebrews 12. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. How do we do it, Hebrew writer? By fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. You are perfect in Jesus. For the joy set before him He endured the cross, scorning its shame. He took all that shame, your shame, my shame. He nailed it to that cross and took it away forever. And when he ascended into heaven, it's like he brought us in with him. We're just waiting. You know what we're waiting on? To get more next level apostles. That's our job while we're here. Tell the story. We're guilty, but we're gracefully reborn in Christ. Ephesians 2 says, At one time we were gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And then my favorite word in the Bible, but... Because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Can I get an amen for grace? Damaged, but delivered. Ashamed, but ascended into heaven itself. Guilty, yes, but gracefully reborn, innocent in Christ. Say, man, Al, that sounds pretty good. It sounds too good to be true. Oh, it, it is too good for us. But it's still true. And it's our legacy. Next level. But I close this morning with a warning. Got to have a warning. Because you also have to be willing to resist evil and stay the course. Twelve men were called to go next level. Eleven of them literally went to the next level. But one did not. 
the one who Luke tells us became a traitor. And, you know, you think about that. That meant that when he first got called, he wasn't one yet. But while everyone else was looking and learning and seeing what it took to go to the next level, one was growing deeper and darker into the betrayal of Jesus. And when he got his moment, the Bible says that Satan entered him, meaning that he finally gave in fully to the will of Satan. He still had a moment. He realized what he had done after he did it. You remember he took that 30 pieces of silver and he flung it in that temple. And at that moment, he had a choice again. Would he do what Peter did and repent from his betrayal and be welcomed back into the fold of Jesus like anyone has an opportunity to do, you do today? Or would he follow his own path, which would lead him to death by his own hand? We know how it turned out. We have an enemy against every next level and every disciple, and he is real. And he's working overtime against every single one of us. So even in Christ, even at the next level, we have to realize who he is. Because one out of 12 didn't make it. He was replaced by Matthias. He, he was replaced but he lost his soul. I don't want that to happen to you. We have an opportunity to live forever, and we don't want to miss it. So today, I don't know how you came to listen to this, but if you are ready to go to the next level, maybe it's just a fact of listening to the call and taking the step and doing it. Maybe there is something that has encumbered you and entangled you, and the evil one's been working on you, but you have a choice today. You don't have to stay in that. You don't have to follow the whispering and the words of the evil one and his manipulation and seduction. You can say, no, I choose Jesus. I choose forgiveness. I choose redemption. I choose deliverance and grace. If you need that today, or maybe for the first time, just answer the call to follow him. I invite you to do that while we stand and while we sing.